Pride Institute is an LGBTQ-specific treatment center for substance use disorder and addiction. Pride was first opened in 1986 as a direct response to the HIV-AIDS pandemic. We provide care to adults 18-plus in residential and outpatient settings. I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylee. And together, we are the co-hosts of the Proud Voices podcast for Pride Institute. My name's Wright, and uh, I first got into Pride in 2016, um, which was my first uh, treatment ever. Um, after being in addiction for quite some time, um, from a young age until about the age of 33, um, I didn't know what sobriety was. Um, so when I got to Pride in 2016, I drove myself from Denver uh, to Pride's doors um, and kind of just uh, was waiting to be drug in by somebody. Um, and I, I didn't know what to expect at first. I think the the biggest fear I had was um, making a giant change in my life and not knowing what the results would be. So I think like the fear of the unknown was kind of holding me back um, because I was used to the way that I was living. Um, I was able to uh, navigate in chaos, if you will. Um, so, so giving up, you know, my living situation, my job, uh, my boyfriend at the time, um, to do something I've never done before was very difficult for me to uh, make the decision to do. Um, <clears throat> looking back now, it was one of the best decisions I ever made because I wouldn't have known what life could be like if I didn't take that chance in the first place. Um, now, I didn't stay uh, sober um, after that. You know, I thought the 28 days, um, I think it was... 14 days inpatient, 14 days uh, PHP. Um, I thought that was the cure for me. Um, I felt great after that. Um, I was going to go back and save my relationship. I was going to fix all the things that I had kind of put on the back burner um, the majority of my life. Um, I'm going to leave the, the details and the specifics out, of course, just because those things really don't matter in the big, in the big picture. Mm -hmm. um, trying to uh, live... A triple life, I would say. You know, I had my relationship, um, I had my work, um, and then of course I had, uh, which eventually took over completely, was my um, using life, um, and that started to take a toll on me um, because I, I got back into thinking that I can do it again after having that fresh start of being sober for you know thirty days. I think I stayed sober for forty more days at home. Um, attempted to go to meetings and uh, thought that I can easily sneak back into doing the old things that I was doing before. Um, ended up going to a couple different treatments after Pride. Um, I didn't come back to Minnesota. Um, for me, <clears throat> coming from Texas, uh, being gay was very difficult um, for me to navigate growing up. So when I came to Pride and got uh, I guess in a was it I don't know how big the building is, but forty people crammed into a small space. I, I never knew that the uh, LGBTQIA um, population was so diverse. You know, I just thought it was this or this. Um, so that was an eye opener for me, um, and a little overwhelming at the, at, 
to say the least. That's interesting <clears throat> that you say that because I think a lot of times people do think like, oh, like one size fits all kind of for the population. And if you're like a black trans woman, you would get the same, I guess, um, life experience as maybe like a gay person. And they're just two completely different worlds. Yeah. They might connect on like the societal, you know, discrimination and bias, but um, two completely different worlds. Yeah, so when, you know, you come into a treatment center, you have a set amount of time. Um, the challenge for me was not only focusing on my addiction piece, but focusing on uh, my sexuality. And looking back, 28 days was a very small amount of time for me to be able to, to do both. Um, in the back of my head, I knew that I was going to need more treatment because I wasn't there was something I wasn't grasping or something I wasn't getting when I was back into, you know, the real life. Um, um, I worked as a banker for 14 years at JP Morgan Chase. Um, I somehow managed to keep my job and um, do crystal meth on almost a daily basis. I don't know how I did it looking back. I know that I couldn't do it moving forward. Um, for me, it was a way to keep the emotion peace out of things and focus on the numbers and what I needed to get done, um, which would later on lead to a mental health diagnosis that, you know, that I'm now prescribed proper medication for. Going to, I think I went to Utah for six months in an inpatient treatment center. I was very fortunate at the time because I was still able to um, fall back on the benefits I had at work. Um, I had, you know, insurance through my employer. Um, at this point, in the back of my head, I was told by my manager that um, I either needed to sign the termination papers or pick up the phone and call for help. So um, I won't use her name because I already said the company I worked for, but uh, I've thanked her till this day. Like I still keep in contact with her saying that she saved my life. Um, because I didn't know that those were options for me. Um, was in Utah for six months um, on a, you know, it was like a ranch style home um, in the mountains. It was like a, to me, it was like a retreat, but in the back of my head, it wasn't a game um, because I knew that um, I can't escape like what I had done. I needed to work on what I was trying to accomplish and figured this thing out because it, it to me, um, losing my family was what was next. And I didn't want to have to, um, to go through that. So uh, focusing on recovery, um, getting through treatment, uh, now moving back home to Texas, living with my sister, um, and my brother-in-law, um, which I adore them both. Um, they were able to take me in, but I, I let sort of that guilt and shame feeling of like what I had done and what they're doing and my life isn't put together anymore and I've lost everything. And I let those feelings kind of take over. And something that I promised I, her I would never do was use again. You know, and I and I, I look now and I'm like I don't I don't think I ever really promise that to anyone anymore. I just to myself I just do what I can for the day to not go that direction. Mm -hmm. um, 
I ended up leaving her place because I obviously didn't stay sober. Um, and instead of having her kick me out, I, I left. I um, told her she didn't have to do that. It, that's the decision that I was making. So she didn't have to kick her brother out on the street. So something that you mentioned um, was coming to terms with your sexuality. And I think that's so interesting because for me personally, coming to terms with my sexuality was like one of the hardest things I've ever done. And trying to imagine someone doing that in 28 days as well as, you know, healing themselves and learning new patterns um, from a previous lifestyle of addiction. Will you just talk about that journey for yourself? I mean, what did that look like? Did you come to terms with that in 28 days? Uh, what was your, your timeline like for, for that piece? Yeah, so I, I think for me, um, <clears throat> that first 28 days that I was in Pride back in 2016, it was it was more of, um, I had always been in a relationship. So relationships for me were kind of like my, you know, third persona, if you will. So it was just kind of, this things are going well on the outside. I'm able to maintain this relationship. I'm able to, you know, um, put this face on that everything's okay in my life. I mean, I didn't have to focus necessarily on myself. I can focus on the other person. So when I heard of Codependency Anonymous in Pride for the first time, I was like, oh my gosh, that's that might be me, you know? Um, at first I was like, there's no way. Um, but as far as coming to terms with my sexuality, I, that's still something that I struggle with today. It's, it's how, to, how to be gay and I guess I'm gonna say I care what people think, and it's kind of hard not to, mm. um, and especially when it comes to family. You know, I uh, I have a very supportive family, but not the other half. Um, so it's very difficult to keep maintaining the relationships with them um, when it comes to that piece of my life. So I'm still trying to figure out how to navigate that, and navigating it sober for me, I, it made me realize that using drugs and alcohol was a way to cope with that in my life. So. Um, being able to see people that are, uh, I would say, carefree or um, like courageous, I would say, in my eyes, you know, being themselves is something that like is like I admire. I admire. Um, so I'm learning how to navigate that part of my life. And uh, I haven't been in a relationship since I've gotten sober, um, which I think has helped for me um, to be able to to pay attention to to myself and to take care of me for the first time in a very long time um, without any distractions. I don't know. It's a journey. It's not a, you know, I'd like to be able to say I have all the answers, but I don't. I don't know if I ever will, um, but I'm definitely in a much better place than I am now, you know, or that I am now than I was then. So yeah. one thing that kind of stuck out to me was you were it, Earlier, when you were talking about your story, it kind of seemed like there was a sense of like you were scared to get sober because of the unknown. And like one thing that I'm thinking of like constantly is like your future self is waiting for you. Um, how, like looking back at yourself, you know, three or four years ago, um, or I suppose a little bit longer, well, yeah, um, 2016, that would have been six years ago. How, uh, how would you compare your life now to that? What's different? What's changed? I would say what's changed the most is the fact that I'm able to sit with myself now. Um, before I always had to be distracted by something, whether it was, um, like I mentioned before, the relationship, um, overworking, um, something going on or getting involved in other people's drama that I had no business being in. Like it, 
not, not that I enjoyed it. It was just a distraction for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to just be okay and be still in the moment, like I'm okay with doing that today. Um, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm uh, stuck in survival mode anymore, like backed into a corner, having to react to everything. Um, now it's more or less, um, I can just sit still and think before I make a decision, which has been a, a huge game changer for me when it comes to, you know, it's, it's like that instant gratification versus delayed. That is so important. So that's, that's been my, I think the biggest uh, reward out of, out of this is being able to do that. Now that's just a start, of course, but um, six years ago, like I said, I didn't know what the word sober meant. I didn't know it was a thing. I think I had been to one AA meeting in the past that a friend took me to, but I'm pretty sure I was under the influence of something and had no idea what was going on. So just like looking back now, I'm like, oh my God, I was that person like in the back row, like not paying attention on my phone, like ready to go. Um, but, you know, my friend was trying at the time. He was trying to tell me something, <laughs> you know, I just wasn't listening um, or paying attention. So, um, yeah, it's much, much better now than it was then. Um, but like, you know, like most people say, like, I don't think I'd really change anything because I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I, if I did. Now, I guess there's a couple things I would change, but it really <laughs> wouldn't, it wouldn't matter <laughs> at this point. I think what is super interesting about your story is you kind of jumped around all over. Um, it seems like you've lived in a lot of different places. Just wondering what your experience with like the culture of other places you learn or lived in, um, the culture of like, around use um is it you know how stigmatized is it around the lgbtq community how is that experience for you like living in a bunch of different places um i mean yeah it's like so when i came out i was 17 and living in the houston area actually i was living an hour away from houston and um drugs and clubs and alcohol and guys were like what is this life? You know, I, I never knew what that was before. And it was kind of just sucked in immediately. Like I'm not leaving this, this bubble. Um, naturally you can't survive long in that realm. So I, you know, had to move away from it. Um, I've lived in Houston, Austin, Dallas, Denver, um, and then spent some little bit of time in LA, which that was way too much for me. So <laughs> I'm coming from a smaller town. It's pretty wild to me, the amount of, uh, I guess one thing I've noticed is you see a lot of gay males that are going through treatment due to like crystal meth use. And I think that's one of the things that um, eventually one day be able to help and focus on is just like, it's such a, it's sad to see because I'm dealing with um, a couple of friends back home right now that are, that have reached out throughout the years and are struggling still, you know, I mean, these are people that have been pretty important to me in my life, you know. And it's still the same story. It's like, you can get out of it. Like you just gotta try something different. For me, I had to come all the way from Texas to Minnesota on a one-way ticket that wasn't even bought by me um, because I had blown through everything um, and just got to Minnesota. Um, I, I knew that their recovery community was uh, you know, a pretty big deal here in Texas. You, you know, people don't aren't as fortunate. I think I tried to get into three treatment centers back in Texas and Minnesota, the state, and just how they treat people here is just completely like mind blowing. Um, so being able to take advantage of what there is to offer here has been 
um, you know, a life changer for me. Um, as far as the stigma, uh, of course, you know, I, I don't know. I can't really say to that. I think it's it's more the environment I put myself in because I think in every city you have, you know, people like there's drugs there, or I can't move there because there's drugs. Mm -hmm. There's drugs everywhere, and it's and it's in small towns even. Yeah, like everywhere. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's everywhere. So it's now it's like okay, if it's everywhere, what do I have to do to um, navigate? away from that life and I, and I had to change a lot I had to change get rid of a lot of what I called friends and um make new ones which is scary right because now we're and hard as adults right we're yeah. sober and <clears throat> I feel like a you know almost I'm not gonna say 40 a 39 year old kid <laughs> so um learning how to you know be okay in social situations and I'm not like good at speaking in public or in front of these microphones and i told myself today i was like you know what this is this is life now like this is i've been through it um if i can help at least one person along the way then i'm doing something so that's just kind of where i'm at today so. well and kaylee and i both know that you've helped much more than just one person. Mm -hmm. um, for those of you who are listening, Wright used to work at Pride and was attacked and has helped so many people. Everyone loved you. We miss you. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely um, one of the most rewarding jobs that I've done. Um, and especially, you know, after going through Pride as a, as a client, it's easy to relate to like the people that are going through now. And it's just kind of like, I understand where you're at. I remember my first day, you know, it may not be the same as yours, but like, it's going to get better. Just let it. And it may not work the first time. You know, for me, it didn't. Um, but I, it's something I couldn't, I would never forget. You know, like, it's like almost like once you have recovery, like, it's never going to be the same when you go back, which is a good thing for me because I don't want it to be enjoyable anymore. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I'm finding ways uh, to help. Um, we started a couple of friends and I started a nonprofit and we're trying to get that going. And this last year, we really haven't spent much time on it, but I think it's going to be pretty beneficial once it gets up and going and you know, it's going to be a good thing. Are you ready to talk about it a little bit or is that still under wraps? Um, it's not really under wraps. I mean, um, it's called the Live Proud Fund. Um, and, and what it is, we're just trying to raise money for people that are going through treatment or um, have been through treatment um, and they're trying to get either sober house deposits or just money to kind of help them along the way, um, whether it be just money for clothing or, you know, whatever they really need wow. in this case. I know that they're doing a lot of changes with the sober house deposits and some of them aren't going to be as much as they were in the past. So that means, you know, I was talking to a sober house manager and he told me that he was really upset about the deposits going away. And I was like, oh, that's great for us. I was like, we don't have to spend so much money on giving you all a deposit. We can focus on, you know, financing other things for people. He didn't like that answer. Right. But, um, you know, it it's going to be, it's going to work out. And I, and I think I have a pretty good crew that um, I've selected so far um, that are involved in the community as well and in recovery. So it's going to be rewarding once it gets up and going. It's just getting up and doing the fundraising piece and things like that. That's the challenge. So I'm still learning that side of things. There are never enough resources for the recovery community, the LGBTQ community. So thank you for putting your time and effort into something that will benefit everyone. Awesome. Thanks for, for being here. Yeah, thank you both.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Proud Voices. You can find us where you find all your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. We'll see you next time.